something that I like to call death by a thousand paper cuts. You know, that one paper cut, it's small. It's not going to kill you. But over time, when these wounds don't have the chance to heal and they're piled one upon the other, upon the other, upon the other, that really can have a uh, negative impact on your mindset, on your worldview. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Keep It Fictional from the Port Moody Public Library, a podcast and video cast by book lovers for our fellow book lovers. Now, today, our topic is one that's near and dear to our hearts. As a public organization, we strive to present to you information that is varied and of quality and can perhaps assist you in enriching your life and becoming more well-informed about the world around you. Now, that topic is social justice. Now, when we talk about social justice, we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different life experiences, whatever they may be. So for some people, social justice may not be very prevalent at the forefront of our minds. However, we're here to remind you that social justice affects everybody, no matter who you are, where you come from, what experiences you personally have had in your own life growing up or in your day-to-day today, social justice is an issue of importance for everyone. Even if we do not feel that we are being discriminated against or face challenges to our own personal social justice, The truth of the matter is, is that unfortunately, there are structures in our society that make it difficult for a lot of people of different backgrounds, of different heritage, to live their lives, to to have equal opportunities, to have the same privileges um, and human rights that all the rest of us do. And to us, we see that as a problem. And it's a problem that we hope by reading, by discussing, by thinking, by pondering, um, by developing empathy for others, by putting ourselves in their shoes, whether through a work of fiction or by learning more about them through a work of nonfiction, biography, memoir. Uh, We hope that at least in some way we can help contribute to providing a platform for people of color, people of different creeds, uh, to present their voices so that our society as a whole can be uplifted together. All right, so today we have several different books that we have read and really felt informed our experiences as to different social justice issues out there. Now, as mentioned, these can be in the form of nonfiction, but also in fiction. We can learn a lot through experiencing a fictional character's experience that may enlighten us to a way of life, to experiences that we are not familiar with. Now, today, Fiona, I believe you have a work of fiction for us for young adults, but of course that adults can enjoy. What do you have for us today? 
Yes, that's right. Uh, I do have a YA book, um, but that I greatly enjoyed. And I think it has a lot of crossover for adults as well. I'm going to be speaking about Punching the Air by E.B. Zaboy and Youssef Salam. Both authors are very interesting. Uh, I've loved E.B. Zaboy's other works. And uh, Youssef Salam is a poet and a uh, prison reformist and an exonerated member of the Central Park Five. Uh, So this was a well-known case where five young men were incarcerated in juvenile detention centers and spent years of their lives there only to be exonerated. And it really shed a lot of light on the systemic issues of our and the American justice system. What better person than Youssef Salam to collaborate on a book about a young man who who is wrongly convicted and sent to a juvenile detention center? So this is a work of fiction, and it's written in verse, and it is contemporary. So that was really interesting because it drew on um, the aspects of social media and how those play a part in are just on justice today uh, when things are cut live or people are talking about things online. So while it did draw from Youssef Salam's experience, they put it in a contemporary setting. So uh, this story follows Amal Shahi, who was caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. Amal goes to an art school that is predominantly white, and he is a black young man. And he lives with a single mother who has to work very hard to uh, support them. And so Amal is always trying to keep himself out of trouble so that his mother doesn't have more to deal with. He is an artist and a poet. And although he finds support in that, he is feeling the systemic biases in his school that cause his teachers to see him as a bit of a case of of a person who needs to be directed. And Amal finds it very frustrating. He wants to um, express himself and learn about other artists and poets like him, but he finds that the curriculum all focus on dead white European men. And so while he's very eager to learn some of his teachers see him as acting out because he is not willing to go along with this curriculum. Uh, And that comes into play during his trial when some of them are called upon to be character witnesses for him. So Amal is tried as guilty and he does get sent to a juvenile detention center. And it's his love of art and beauty and finding beauty in uncommon places that help him get through this experience. He also starts to receive letters from his crush, Zenobia, who he thought didn't even know that he existed. And this is a source of focus for him to to have someone to send his poetry to and to draw for and think about how much he wants to make it out of this experience. It's a beautiful book, Um, like I said, written in verse, and it really captures the character, allows you to see his perspective and feel what he's feeling. It went further than just the experience of a young person being wrongfully accused and experiencing prison. 
because it it's not just a matter of oh he didn't do what they they said he did it's a matter of what he did was sort of blown out of proportion because of these systemic issues and then how he's viewed by people on outside and inside the prison because of the color of his skin and really looking that at that in sort of a in a in a way in in which all of that is interconnected all of the aspects of his life how he was in the wrong place at the wrong time but in so many ways it's inevitable because of the way that he is viewed as a, as a young black person it's a really hopeful and beautiful book uh, there was a um, a character who comes in to teach poetry to the incarcerated youth and I really loved her as a character and her interactions with them all there was a lot of deep looking at prison reform and abolition in those passages and she's there well she's there to teach poetry she's really there out of her own effort to uh, in in prison abolitions, so it really kind of captured the way this thing that was just a lifeline for Amal was just circumstantial, um, and that those opportunities for for reform um, are not generally provided. It was just luck, and he has a really really hard time dealing with the fact that when she says, you know, I have to move on, I have to to go help other people do other things, and suddenly he's kind of left with a table with some crayons and paper, and that is all that he has to do, has to um, get him through this incredibly difficult uh, situation. So I definitely... Uh, recommend it if you're uh, someone who likes to read in verse. Uh, is the poetry is beautiful, and <laughs> well, it's easy to read a whole bunch at once. Uh, it was really, really difficult. Uh, it was very, very heavy and upsetting and discouraging at times. But the book itself has a very um, optimistic outlook. So that is "Punching the Air" by Ibi Zavoy and a Yusef Salam. Go ahead and pick it up. That's great. Thank you so much, Fiona. Uh, it's nice to nice to see the diversity of format for different ages when we're talking about social justice books. So that's great. Okay, so something a little different now. I've got a book that is nonfiction and it's written by a local author named Bob Joseph. And when I say local, I mean local to us here at the Port Moody Public Library. Bob Joseph uh, lives in British Columbia, and he is an Indigenous relations trainer. So he helps uh, individuals and organizations learn more about Indigenous culture, Indigenous peoples, and history in Canada so that we can better foster our relationship uh, as people and to help pave the way towards reconciliation. So the book that I have here for you today is called 21 Things You May Not know about the Indian Act, helping Canadians make reconciliation with Indigenous peoples a reality. Now, despite the long title, despite the promise of 21 things you may not know, this is a rather slim volume. The author, right up front, he says that that is very deliberate. He said that he could write ad nauseum about all the intricacies about the Indian Act and all of the different ways in which is unjust to Indigenous peoples. 
Um, however, he very plainly jokes that nobody would probably read it if it was that in-depth. So he has chosen 21 Things, uh, which started as a blog post. It went viral and he created this book. So it's very succinct, but it's very matter of fact and easy to read in terms of uh, the language used and situations presented, but definitely a lot of food for thought packed in there. Now, the Indian Act, that is still its name today, even though Indian is not the preferred term to be used, which Joseph also addresses. But because of the time, the era in which this act was created, he uses the language used throughout Canadian legal history in order to better illustrate the relationship between the federal government, Canadian people, and Indigenous peoples. Now, this act was created in 1876, which I believe was the year of Confederacy for Canada. And while it was presented as a means to assist Indigenous people, to empower them, to help facilitate their thriving as a people within Canada, this has been anything but the case. If anything, as, as Joseph writes in this book, it, it has been used as a tool for control, to constrain the opportunities that people of Indigenous heritage have within this land, um, you know, that, that they've lived on prior to us, the rest of us, and how the existence of this act today helps to further fuel stereotypes, negative stereotypes about Indigenous people. So rather than assisting them, it has definitely been a hindrance all along the way. So Joseph does select 21 specific things about the act. He presents them as how they are presented in the act. And then he enlightens us as to why these things were bad, why something guised as having good intentions has been so detrimental throughout the years. Here we are in 2021. The act was established in 1876. And along the way, as with any, uh, any federal acts, of course, there are amendments, changes made along the way. However, these are very much a patchwork Frankenstein band-aid type solutions, so to speak, which really does not help at all. The system is broken. The act is broken. Uh, and what uh, the author, Bob Joseph, proposes is that we tear this down. And rather than being a chaotic thing, he says this could be a very, very good thing. Now, examples of things within the Indian Act, it pains me to call it that. That is what it's called. Some of the points that he makes, that he presents, that maybe not all of us are aware of or what the implications of uh, these things are. For example, imposing upon nations, First Nations, um, that they have chief and band elections every two years. So as with any political system, when you have Western or European style elections, this can create division within uh, different ideological groups. Two years is not a lot of time to implement projects and see them through to completion and fruition. And if you're not reelected, then you may never see those things come to fruition. From the get-go, the denial of Indigenous women's status. So you may have heard the term status Indian. 
There's certain criteria that is required to be met for the federal government to recognize somebody as a status Indian. And from a very early point, women's status was denied. So depending on who they married, they could have these, their status uh, as an Indigenous person revoked, um, which made them ineligible for various types of social assistance. So that intersectionality between being a woman, being Indigenous in Canada, and having all these, all these hurdles piled one upon the other. Of late, we have heard more and learned more about residential schools and also the practices within the, those organizations of forbidding the students from speaking their home language. That was embedded in the Indian Act. The denial of the right for Indigenous peoples to vote until 1960. So the act was not amended until 1960. They could not vote in Canadian federal elections. And going back to cultural, cultural suppression, the act also deemed that potlatch and other cultural ceremonies were illegal. So ceremonies that are key to Indigenous communities in bringing their people together and celebrating and practicing, practicing cultural ceremonies that they have done for centuries uh, to be told that you cannot legally do this anymore. Needless to say, the imp implications of the Indian Act, even as it stands today, even with all the amendments, has been devastating and detrimental and we see a lot of the negative repercussions on Indigenous peoples and on society as a whole as a result. This is all very frustrating to read. However, I, I feel the way that I feel it's important that we that we know this, that we understand what Indigenous peoples face. And I really appreciate that the author, Bob Joseph, presents this in such plain language so that we can better understand, so that we can more clearly see how the structure of the Indian Act and all these opportunities that are denied to Indigenous peoples, that we, that we see the truth. So I really appreciate that, that the author presents these facts. And he also talks about the future, that he is also hopeful, um, that he wants to be constructive. He wants to help people like, like myself, who is not Indigenous, develop more empathy and understanding as to why the system is broken so that we can fix it together and so that we can reconcile together, uh, which I think is an extremely gracious thing for him to do. So highly recommend this book, especially if you are a Canadian. Indigenous rights affects everybody, not just Indigenous people. That is 21 Things You May Not Know About the Indian Act by Bob Joseph. Okay, now we have one more feature book today before we get to our existential question of the episode, as well as a special um, announcement that we have. Uh, Virginia, you have a book that I am quite interested in. I love reading nonfiction. What have you got for us today? Um, yeah, so I 
have, I mean, we talked about this. I'm not a big nonfiction fan, but I do prefer nonfiction that um, has a bit of a psychology band to it because that's something that I, you know, used to study. So it just am more gravitated to also. So out of all the books that we could have chosen today, I decided to win with a nonfiction. It is Biased, Uncovering the Hidden Prejudice that Shapes What We See, Think and Do by Dr. Jennifer L. Eberhardt. Dr. Eberhardt is a social psychologist and also a professor of psychology at Stanford. She's a frequent speaker on the topic of race and criminal justice systems and a longtime trainer for law enforcement officers. The first step, I think, to solve a problem is to recognize and acknowledge that it exists. And that's how this book first starts, to establish that common ground so that we can talk more about bias. Looking at many studies, describing all the sorts of research that are out there, Dr. Eberhardt shows us how our brain, one of the mechanism is we categorize things, we find patterns. It helps us make sense of the world. And this innate bias that we have to group things together, to favor or lean towards things that we know and familiar with, to assign values and characteristics to a group so we can better understand them and identify them. It's something that we all do. And that doesn't necessarily equate to you being a good person or a bad person. It's just something that our brain, this is how our brain works. And this bias that we may not even be conscious or aware of, then affects how we perceive the world and how we react to the world. When this bias is not recognized as a force at work, that's when it impacts the lives of people. After, I think, being a very convincing argument of bias, of this implicit bias that we all have, then the book moves into discussing more specifically how it impacts lives, especially the lives of Black Americans, from going to school, to getting a job, to even just booking an Airbnb place. Bias is at work, and bias is working against them. Here, the author not just use scientific studies and data and statistics to show us what bias is doing, but it also pairs up with a lot of personal stories. From talking to families of victims of police shooting, to her own personal experience of getting arrested because she was driving a car with a slightly expired insurance. And of course, more probably more so to do with the fact that she was in a predominantly white neighborhood, that is where she lives, that the cops think that, uh-uh, no, these two Black women should not belong there. And so they start to question them, like, does this car even belong to them? To her son being on a plane when he was five years old and pointed to the only other Black man on the plane and say, hey, that guy looks like daddy. And that she looks at the guys like, that does not look like daddy at all. But for her son to see how they have grouped people together and then to hear her son said, I hope he doesn't rob the plane. At five years old, that stereotype has already been in his mind. And when she tried to unpack that a little bit more with her son, it's like, why would you think that? Where would you? And her son is like, oh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know why I said that. How this bias is so 
constantly being reinforced by media, by stories that have been selected for us, by the stereotypes that we are being bombarded with every day when we go on the internet, when we turn on the TV. And speaking with students who were hiding in the dorm room because neo-Nazis has descended upon the campus in Charlottesville in order to protest. And linking all those stories to research and studies being done to show us how bias exists, whether we like it or not. That a person is more likely to identify a blurry photo of just an object as a gun or a weapon if before they were presented with those photos that you were shown a series of faces of Black people. How identical resumes were sent out to different companies with just that one difference, one with a name that is more common as a name that people consider to be a name of a Black person versus a name that people consider to be a white person's name. How that one difference is what decide whether you get a phone call for an interview or not. How combing through thousands and thousands of court cases that they find that people that are sentenced with a harsher sentence are usually people that are identified as looking more Black, that have more Black characteristics. And how all of these is bias at work. And that's if we don't recognize it, if we don't acknowledge that bias is at play, then it is going to take over our reactions. And I think Dr. Eberhardt is not saying that we can eradicate it because this is how our brain works, but manage it to recognize that when we are in fear, when we feel that we're in danger, when we are stressed, when we have to make a rash, quick decision, that is when we are most likely to be vulnerable to bias and that we're most likely to let bias take over on how we're going to react and how we're going to act and how we can do work to minimize that effect. For instance, her work with the police, how they have changed the policies where when you're in pursuit of a suspect, instead of chasing them down to some dark places, some dark alley where you're likely to rely on this unconscious bias to decide what you're going to do to change the policy where the police are not going to chase them into the alley to stop and call for backup. And in that, that switch in the policy is helping the police officers try to use objective measures to decide why am I chasing this person and rather than letting bias takes over and having that slowing people down. And when we ourselves, because we are all subject to this, recognize that we might be in a situation where bias could be at work, it's a great first step to slow ourselves down and to combat this effect of bias and how it affects our lives. It's sort of like what Fiona talked about earlier. It's, it's a heavy book. I listen to an audio book and I find that I have to like stop the audio book every like, I know, 20, 30 minutes, that's about how much I could listen to because it was it was hard. It was hard to, to hear all the stories and, and all the research, but also recognizing that we all have to reflect on this and, and to all have to think about, you know, how it affects us to acknowledge that we are all biased in some ways and to make sure that we are doing our best 
to stop and look at something objectively, to not let this take over our actions. This is a great introduction to the topic. So if you're interested in not just the personal stories of people that are affected by bias, but also some of the studies and some of the research that has been done to show how bias is at work, please do check out Bias, Uncovering the Hidden Prejudice that Shapes What We See, Think, and Do by Jennifer L. Eberhardt. Thank you, Virginia. That book definitely sounds highly interesting and and uh, perhaps a must read for all of us interested in considering how bias affects each and every one of us. All right. So as usual, we do have a semi-existential question for today. Um, and because there are only three of us um, here with you today on our episode, uh, we thought this would be a good opportunity to maybe slide in a plug for another book. Um, so what I'm wondering from the panel today is, is there another book on social justice, be it fiction or nonfiction again, that has either really touched you or that you felt was a great, great read for you that um, really informed, enlightened you, your worldview. What, what's another one that you'd like to share with everybody today? Fiona? Yes. Um, I'm hoping that you didn't pick the same one, Liz, because I know Liz has read this one. Um, but the book From the Ashes by Jesse Thistle really, really affected me uh, and changed the way I think about un unhoused people. So deep down, it's really, I think it's, uh, he's an Indigenous author and it's a lot about intergenerational trauma. And I definitely took that in. Um, but for me, for a lot of his life, or for some of his life, he was homeless. And while I have spent a lot of time thinking about homeless people, um, thinking about ethics, it gave me a story to kind of fit in when I see somebody about how they might have gotten to that point and what... The rest of their life could look like. Um, in this this book, uh, Jesse Thistle actually recovers um, from uh, his from addiction, and he becomes a, um, a professor. So he's he's a very much a a success story. But there's you know a tendency to I think dehumanize people when you when you can't when you can't understand their story. And for me, this this gave me a, what was your yesterday like? And what will your tomorrow be like? You know, when obviously there's a, for every single person, there's a different story. Um, but for me, this gave me some of the circumstances that sort of helped me understand might, what might be happening when I see someone who is unhoused and to understand in more detail, like how valuable a moment of comfort might be. So it's not just, you know, giving somebody somebody change uh so that you can move on with your day it's it's a moment of like wow i bet you'd really love to have a hot beverage right now because it's cold and we all would feel better if we had something to be a little bit warmer and uh maybe that's that's the thing that gets you through the next day and helps you make it to the next moment and the next day so that hopefully uh someday you find yourself in a place where you can move into more stability and that those moments of uh, 
kindness and seeing people as people are just are just mandatory part of human interaction. Um, so I really I found that that the the book was wonderful in all sorts of ways, but it just kind of fundamentally uh, changed an understanding that I have about people. Uh, so that was really really meaningful for me. Yeah, I concur. That was um, a fantastic read, an occasionally difficult read, but yeah, excellent pick, Fiona. Don't worry, I picked a different book. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to give a shout out to Minor Feelings, an Asian American Reckoning by Kathy Park Hong, somebody who's Asian Canadian. This did touch my feelings. And the title is rather ironic, Minor Feelings, Being Exposed Over the Course of One's Life to Racial Transgressions, uh, Microaggressions, something that I like to call death by a thousand paper cuts. You know, that one paper cut, it's small, it's not going to kill you. But over time, when these wounds don't have the chance to heal and they're piled one upon the other, upon the other, upon the other, that really can have a uh, negative impact on your mindset, on your worldview, um, on how you conduct your day-to-day life. Kathy Park Hong, she really puts her heart and soul into this book. And she brings to attention that, you know, yes, Asian people in North America, they have been considered, they have been presented as a uh, model minority. But that is a construct that is that is a negative construct that has been constructed in order to keep minority groups at odds with each other, to pit people against each other, to make it look like there's the haves and the have-nots, when in fact that is that is what certain factions or, you know, certain structures within society want you to believe, you know, and when the truth of the matter is there are Asian people in North America who struggle with addiction, who struggle with homelessness, who struggle with mental health issues, who struggle with poverty, who face racial conflict on the day-to-day. So finally, there's a book of recent memory that has come out that has, you know, not just presented what it's like to be part of the so-called model minority um, in a fictional way, which I think is fantastic, but to actually have somebody say, you know what, this is, this is what I feel. This is what I personally went through. Maybe your experience is different, but you know, if you felt even remotely the way I have felt in my life, you were, you were not alone. There are other people out there who struggle with this and even, even more so to hear that, you know, oh, you're just being too sensitive. Oh, it's just a joke. Why are you taking offense to that? Don't you want to be good at math? I mean, come on. Like, (laughs) jokes are jokes, but then there is a line that has been crossed. There's a line that we've been taught as a society that kind of slides depending on who you are, what your background is, where you come from. Um, So I really appreciated how Kathy Park Hong was able to put some of the feelings aside, put some of the anger and the trauma and tell her tell her story tell her perspective so that hopefully people reading this book will be able to um, have a better appreciation that you know everybody has their struggles maybe we should be more sensitive to everybody uh, like Fiona was saying human to human treating people 
with kindness as the bottom line. Maybe that's what we should all be doing. So Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. Okay, Virginia, what do you have for us? It was it was a good question, this existential question, but it was hard because there were so many books. And I feel like I'm going to say, like, I think all of us on Keep It Fictional are really committed to bringing books and reading books to decolonize our bookshelves to make sure that we actually talk about in every episode books that are from all sorts of all walks of life. Every episode, I'm sure, that is like books that fit this social justice theme. You know, I'm glad that we're able to highlight it today, but like it's in our episodes. So I thought I would pick something different. I am going to try not to cry because I cry a lot on this podcast, I feel like. Um, But what I've got for you is called Wishes and it's a picture book and it's by Moon T. Van and pictures by Victor Ney. I think not just the topic, but it is the most perfect picture book, the most perfect combination of pictures and words in a picture book. It really illustrates how that perfect pairing can be done. Munti Vance, when she was, I believe she was an infant or she was very, very young, her family has to pack up one night to leave Vietnam. Her father was wanted by the government because he has spoken out against them. And so in the middle of the night, they all pack all the stuff together and they got on their grandfather's fishing boat to leave Vietnam to try to get to Hong Kong. And they weren't able to take everybody. They had to take, they have to leave their grandparents behind. And so on, of course, on the journey too, like it was a, a bad, like stormy journey. So a lot of her relatives didn't even make it. So her family eventually went to Hong Kong and then they stayed at the refugee camp there. And then eventually they made it to the States. And so she herself says she has never, she doesn't know what it should be like to be a granddaughter because she has never really spent time with her grandparents as a result of that. And the book only has about 75 words. That's all you need to communicate what it is like to be a child as a refugee family. Like, so they have lines like on each page, they're all wishes. So there's lines like the bag wish to be deeper because the bag is not big enough to bring all the things that the family wants to bring with them. The clock wish to be slower. The illustration was a picture of the little girl hugging her grandparents, hoping that that moment can stay longer. And the boat wished to be bigger so that the boat can carry more people away from that to safety. So it's just, it was a very, very simple, but the illustrations were stunning. And just looking at the illustrations paired up with those few words, it really convey all you need to feel about what it's like to leave your home to try to find a place where you feel safe. It was just an amazing, amazing picture book. And I think for anyone who who have whatever, you know, being, again, like we talked about earlier, whatever you present, whatever the media is showing you about refugee families, whatever you're being told about refugee families, how, you know, this book really shows that journey that they all have to take And hopefully, as the author pointed out, after people read it, whatever age you are, try to be a little kinder to people that are all the people that are different from you that you may not know 
because they're not familiar to you, but to be kinder because all of these families deserve a life of safety, just like all of us. So yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture book. Um, so please do take a look at it. I wish we have our copies out right now, so I couldn't show you the, the great illustrations in there, but it's an amazing book. So, and it took four years, four years for them to, to create this book because it's just, I'm, I, can, I can't imagine how hard it is to find just the perfect words and they did find the perfect words and a perfect combination. So, Ugh, you almost made me cry, Virginia. You, you took me back to when I was, when I read that picture book earlier this year and just read it once and then I had to go back and look at it again for the illustrations and I had to go back again and then to read the words. And yeah, it's so, so touching. So thank you for sharing that. And um, it highlights that there are, there are books for all ages concerning social justice. It's, it's never too early to, to start looking at books that will help develop empathy, kindness, um, sensitivity towards other people's situations and our differences and how uh, recognizing those differences can make us stronger. Uh, now, before we go today, I do want to make an announcement from the Port Moody Library. Now, um, at the beginning of next year in 2022, I can't believe I'm saying that number, 2022, uh, we will be having a new uh, collection item. So if you are a local, if you do visit the Port Moody Public Library. We hope you'll partake in this new collection. Um, and these are our social justice book club sets. So you can borrow a set of 10 books and um, run your own book club, no matter how formal your book club is, or maybe you want to start one. Maybe you're interested in a particular title or theme and you wish to have some meaningful discussion with your friends and family, people that you know and trust, um, you know, that are part of your safe space. Um, this is a great way to get started in that. So you'll get a set of 10 books uh, and it includes some discussion questions. Now, of course, you can take whatever journey you want in terms of reading the book, thinking about it, discussing the book, but there are some questions that are included in each kit to help get you started. Sometimes it can be difficult to, to determine where you get started. Sometimes these are difficult questions and it's easier to read them because they are part of a guide as opposed to throwing them out to a group, you know, as, as a question that you're really curious about what other people are thinking, but maybe you're kind of scared to say them out loud. And that's okay. That's all part of the process. We're all learning together. We're all muddling through together. And so these sets um, include books for not only adults and those interested in reading young adults, but also for kids, we have books at the middle grade, fiction and nonfiction. So uh, if you are a Port Moody public library user, if you do come into the library, if you're local, then please do keep your eyes and ears open for our book club sets, our social justice book club sets coming in 2022. Okay, well, uh, I just want to conclude by saying thank you to all of our panelists. Social justice is not the easiest uh, topic to talk about, but yeah, it's really important that we do. So I'm glad that we were able to share with you a diverse selection of books. Again, just scratching the surface, but we hope this will inspire you out there, listeners and viewers, to pick up 
uh, a book yourself um, concerning one of these topics. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we will see you again. Well, we won't see you. You'll see us or you'll hear us for another episode of Keep It Fictional from the Port Moody Public Library. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Thank you.